Come at the moment, come at the max, as D's deny calamitous cats. A double shot of Bailey's as Smith and Dale leave Port powerless. Cochin retires captaincy, heads to a day spa for a manicure. And May May play as Urban Keith voices he's in. Hello and welcome back to AFL by Dummies. My name is Alex Henry. Joining me this week, as he does every week, he's trying to keep a straight face right now after reading the opening jokes, but he spent most of last week as Port Adelaide Power's chief motivator. It's Tom Creaser. Oh, yeah. What a absolute... I think I did an excellent job. I don't mm. know about you. I think I did an excellent job. Now, I did close my eyes and pretend that we won by 12 goals, and I... W- willed it to happen now i assume it did happen i didn't catch the game Alex, did <laughs> you, it happen? you missed the game yeah i missed it i was oh. too busy thinking about winning but, well i mean they were quite competitive i'll tell you that um and then the game started and suddenly that competitiveness <laughs> it went somewhere else i'll tell you that hey tom i'm <laughs> gonna surprise one on you here um i forgot to mention it to you before but i want to do a hero this week because there's a player i want to mention um I'll, I'll leave you max so you can do him if you like or you can pick someone else but firstly, I want to mention Taylor Duray, who is of the Western Bulldogs mm-hmm. side. I believe he's the only multiple premiership player heading into this week. And he's a guy that has experienced it all. And I think he has proved that extremely well over the last few weeks. Now, firstly, two weeks ago, he had his massive moment one-on-one with Charlie Cameron, where he managed to deny him in the last minute um, from running into that open goal for what surely would have been the winning goal for Brisbane. What a massive moment from him then. And now, this week, oh, he did an excellent job on the weekend. He's just one of those cogs in the machine, throws himself backwards. There was one moment uh, Port Adelaide was starting to find some momentum and he ran backwards with the flight of the ball, got an important spoil in and denied Port Adelaide from going coast to coast and getting a goal. And I thought, gee, Taylor Duray, Sometimes having those experienced players under pressure, they get the job done. In saying that, all of those experienced players did not go well for Geelong. So, (laughs) screw my theories. What about you, Tom? Did you have a hero from this week? So, yeah, well, you can't go past Max Gorn, as you said. Um, I also think that in that game, uh, it was probably Jack Viney's best game for probably a year. Oh, I, I would say a lot longer than if, that. It's the best not, I've seen him play since, for a long time. Since he's had the since he's since he's given up the captaincy, probably yeah. his best game, yeah. um, which is a good time to have it. Um, and and then Max doing things that you know a hybrid of Wayne Carey, Buddy Franklin, and Eddie Betts would only dream of. Yeah. Um, I just I actually at some point I was like, oh, let's just do Max's Island. <laughs> and let's just pick into him, see if he can get 10, because otherwise it's uh, going to be a bit boring fourth quarter. And then they brought everybody off, and I was like, yeah, that's probably safe. But <laughs> I was still hoping he'd kick the 10. Uh, a friend of the show, James, asked me this week, which of Max's goals were the best? And I want to ask you the same question. If you had to pick one, which did you think was the best goal? Uh, I think, honestly, I think the third the one, the one in the ruck contest where he brings it to to ground, back up, and then snaps it over his head, is uh is probably the better one. Um, I think the others. I mean, the one from fifty five is ridiculous, <laughs> but like you know, there are players in the comp that can do it. I, do it. I think that there's probably only Hawkins, and Nick Nat, and maybe Grundy who could do the one in the ruck contest. Mm. Um, right at the moment. So yeah, to be able to pull that out on prelim final, oh, incredible! I mean, yeah, there's a couple that would be worthy winners. The first one where he, he rounds the corner so quickly and gets the snap away, of course. Um, the co- goals from the contested marks. I mean, they're always impressive. As I said to him, I think what makes it, the whole package so impressive is that he's able to do all of it. Yes, I've seen a lot of yes. players that can do any of those goals over the years. But it takes someone truly unique that can kick all of those. For me, it was the 55-meter bomb. Uh, because yeah. I, I've in my entire time watching footy, I've only ever seen two ruckmen that are capable of doing that. Uh, Nick Natanui, of course, and, mm-hmm. and Brody Grundy, who's got the athleticism of a midfielder. He's just tall yeah. enough to play in the ruck. But every every other ruckman I've seen, genuine ruckman, 
does not have that level of agility, does not have that kicking penetration, does not have that execution to get that done. So for me, that was the best of them all. Mm, yeah, fair. All right, Tom, we're going to get straight into our main story, which is, of course, the prelims this week. Every year, the week before the grand final, the preliminary finals decide who will play for the ultimate prize. This year, two weeks before the grand final, the preliminary finals decided that Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs will play for the premiership. On Friday night, Melbourne delighted as they destroyed, demolished, denied and eventually defeated Geelong. Maxwell and his red and blue hammers came down upon the cat's head. An eight goal to zero third quarter led by Gorn's four for the quarter nailed the cats. His combination work out of the middle with Jack, discount Jake Paul Viney, Christian Godsam Petraka and Clayton fresher than Jamie Oliver was too strong for an ageing Geelong midfield. The Cats, meanwhile, will rue another finals campaign lost, with many asking questions such as, does the game plan stack up in finals? Is the list too old? And does anyone have Alistair Clarkson's phone number? After an epic 83-point win from Melbourne, it seemed like whatever happened on Saturday, the Dees would enter in as comfortable favourites. The Dogs saw the Dees and said, hold my non-alcoholic vegan beer. A seven goal to one first quarter essentially ended the game before it began. It reminded me of watching a dog fight. One dog had ruthlessly trained for the fight its whole life. However, the other had spent most of its life mooching on schmackos. The dogs were led by Jack McRae, who's managed to successfully balance a prolific finals campaign and his new job as Collingwood coach. No, wait. Sorry, sorry, that's wrong. Um, as well as Bailey Smith, a Victoria's Secret hair model that stumbled onto the footy field. For Port, it's back-to-back home preliminary finals losses, with many now asking, is it back to basics, or will they be successful back in black, white and teal next year? For the winners, the Ds and the Dogs, this weekend, they'll get to play off in the biggest match of them all. Sorry, sorry, next weekend. Well, Tom, it was a stunning, truly stunning is the word I think of, week of preliminary mm. finals. I, I mean... I thought, I said to you, I thought that um, the Melbourne-Geelong game would be Melbourne but close and that the Port Adelaide-Western Bulldogs would be Port but close. Mm. And, well, I got one of the tips right, but neither of the games were close. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone, I don't, no, no, definitely no one thought this would go this, the margins would be this, this large. Um, the first game, oh, for, it was it was noticeable you know, five minutes in. I understand that Jeremy Cameron kicked the first, but within five minutes of game time, you were like, ah, Geelong's off and Melbourne's on. This could get ugly. Um, And yeah, by the third quarter, that third third quarter alone was uh, just a perfect way to get into a grand final. I mean, yeah, they were all special. Christian Petrarca, Jack Viney, as you mentioned, we thought he was heroic. But Max's third quarter was stunning. I mean, I had a look at the numbers after the game because I wanted to have a look. It's the biggest preliminary final win by a side since 2007 um, when Port Adelaide, coincidentally, won by 87 points against North Melbourne in their preliminary final. However, they played Geelong in the grand final next week and went on to lose by 119 points. So... It's interesting that that's not always the best um, predicator for a team in good form. Um, and then I thought, you know, wow, what a win by Melbourne. Next the next evening, the Western Bulldogs come out, they kick the seven of the first eight goals, and I was thinking, could they beat that? <laughs> is is, is yeah. 83 points safe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now it's the biggest combined margin. I think that was the stat, the, mm. the stat that was uh, lauded over this week. You're absolutely right about that, Tom. It is the biggest combined margin. Wow. I mean, just what a truly stunning week of finals. I can't wait to talk to you about the grand final next week and then watch the grand final that weekend. It'll be very exciting. All right. We're going to get straight into our battle round. Ding, ding, ding. All right, Tom. Now, I'm, just before we start, just before we start, um, I wrote on our document that my joke this week was going to be about the Road Warrior. Did you get the reference? It's Mad Max. Ah, good boy, good boy. Okay, now I don't know but if you're aware, they actually released a new Mad Max film over the weekend. 
Oh, love it, love it. You, Mad Max Fury Road is my favourite action movie of all time, so I am definitely looking forward to the sequel and what Dr. George Miller has cooked up. <laughs> yeah, I believe it's called Mad Max Optus Stadium. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, uh, it's been filmed in Perth. Um, I've got the tagline for you. It's a story about a man attempting to break a drought. Um, <laughs> So, um, yes, yes, 100%. 100%. Yeah, sounds good yeah. to you. Yeah, more, than, more of what I absolutely love already. So, <laughs> definitely right. on board. Now, uh, the Mad Max films, they're famous for their um, opening monologues where a uh, man talks. They're famous for their opening monologues where Max talks about, the, you know, the state of the world that he's in, the state of the situation he's in. So, I thought I'd read to you the opening monologue from this new Mad Max film. Um, you, can, you can see if you can work out what it's about. My name is Max. My world is red and blue. Once I was a loner, a road warrior searching for a righteous cause. As the world fell, each of us in our own way was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy, me or the Carlton fans. (laughs) Here they come again, the doubts choking me, worming their way into the black matter of my brain. I tell myself they cannot touch me. They are long dead. I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead, surrounded by my scavengers, haunted by those I lost along the way. Jonesy. Yeah. So I exist. (laughs) So I exist in this grassland, a man reduced to a single instinct. Flag. Incredible. I actually, that is really good. So good, in fact, that I'm going to go straight from this to watching Fury Road. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you, I had to, um, I had to find the monologue from Fury Road for this, and I did end up watching more of the film than I intended to. I'll I'll say that. (laughs) I I will say to wrap up is that, you know, I'm really excited for Max on Grand Final. I'm really excited for Max and that hopefully they get the opportunity to win the grand final this season, Melbourne. I'm really rooting for them. And, you know, if they do, if they do win the grand final, I I will be sitting there saying, oh, what a day. What a lovely day. (laughs) And there will be a player out the, you best believe, Ed Langdon out the front, double guitar, (laughs) fire coming out. I'm going to (laughs) absolutely... Love it. Luke Jackson, oh, yeah. he takes out the fake teeth, <laughs> on the drums. Incredible. I was trying to work out how I could get the Duforia in there, but I, can't, I couldn't find a way. Uh, all right, Tom, that's what so I've good. got. Over to you. All right, all right. So we know that the Brownlow has been moved to Sunday, um, not Monday, uh, this weekend. So... Um, we absolutely love the Brownlow here. And while we'll, we'll probably talk about a little bit about it later on, I wanted to talk to you and say, okay, we know that there's a certain type of player, definitely in our lifetime, that is only eligible to win the Brownlow. So we've got a lot of information based just off the position about who do you think will win the Brownlow in the coming years? Okay. So I wanted to play a game with you and see if uh, we can, you know, have a pip and a prediction of who will win the 2025 Brownlow. For the record, I I, I don't think I'm going to accurately guess who's going to win this year's Brownlow. <laughs> I don't think I'm the best person to listen to about who's going <laughs> to accurately predict who wins the 2025 Brownlow. Yeah, so I have gone through a few. There's a few players on this list. The first, um, I think, uh, we do have to look at is um, Sam Walsh. I think that's number one on the list. Definitely the biggest, big, biggest favorite. I don't think I can ever remember a better start to a player. Can you? No, I mean, um, he, was, he was the first player that came to my mind about thinking who's the potential winners in the future. He's got such a dynamic game that I think yeah, yeah. really attract him. It'll be, I think this season will be a really good indicator of how many votes he's likely to get over his career because if he's drawing the eye at this stage when he's 
He's not doing a lot of the things that do get you a lot of votes, like kicking big goals and big moments. He had a couple of moments, but, um, you know, as him and a successful Carlton side in the future, you could almost write it in. Yeah, yeah. And and things like, you know, metres gained, he is getting better and better at every year. And, and metres gained is a huge marker for um, Brownlow medal winners. Um, and I think only... Uh, what's his name? Trent Cutchin in in 2012 um, was the only player in the last 10 seasons to have uh, less than le- less less than uh, what is it? Less than uh, contest ten less than 12.5 contested possessions on average, and I think there hasn't been a player uh, with under 420 metres gained per match on average. Mm. Um, so he just needs to get his uh, metres gained up, which I'm sure he will, uh, he will in the coming season. Um, other players on that list, um, interestingly, Noah Anderson. Um, he had a career best year and kind of overshadowed Matt Rowell after Rowell got injured um, and it's taken a while uh, to get back to his uh, debut best. Um, so, you know, he averaged 22 possession, uh, 22 and a half possessions this year um, and over 320 metres gained. Um, and he's probably, he probably was the second best midfielder in that Suns team behind Tuk Miller. Um, and then the last player is, uh, interestingly, um, is Adam Chera. Now, um, I think this is an interesting one because I think if he moves to Carlton, as they all suggest, he'll be competing with Walsh. So it might, you know, buckle his chances. But um, he does have the the inside game that really, really umpires notice. I think umpires just notice the inside game and that explosiveness a little bit more. Um and those are the types of players that, that usually win it at the moment. Um, the players that can break tackles just with pure explosiveness. Other players who have that kind of uh, prototype, LDU from North Melbourne, um, I, maybe as they get better um, and move up the ladder, in it'll be during his peak years. So mm-hmm. that, that kind of works out really well for him. Um, and then the other Smokey um, is uh, um, Jack Bytel from St. Kilda. <laughs> wow, really? Uh, so he, it, he I, th- I think next year he'll play a lot more football than he did this year. Yeah. And um, sitting next to Jack Steele in that, in that midfield group, I think will do him wonders. Um, and I, there's just not that many other options other than those two. So, um, it'll be really interesting to see. And then there are others, let's see in the, in, I'm looking at the 22 under 22, um, and the names, other names that stick out really clearly. Um, I, at the moment he's been playing on the wing, but Andy McGrath from Essendon, if he moves inside as, uh, Mer- as a uh, as a uh, merit, uh, and gets a bit older. Um, I think, uh, particularly, I assume he'll be the next captain of Essendon as well. Um, it'll be sim a, a, a similar transition to to like a bunt when he became captain, and then other ones, um, in that list. Yeah, a lot of them are wingers. Um. But yeah, Josh Dunkley is the other one. He'll be twenty. He'll be twenty eight, twenty nine, um, in that last in that twenty twenty five Brownlow, which I think it might skew a bit younger, but uh, skew a bit older. Sorry, um, particularly in the likes of you know we see Boke dominating at thirty two. He was what thirty one last year and almost mm. won it. So twenty nine is the young young man's game for the Brownlow, um, and I think that. Yeah, Dunk Dunkley definitely has that option. You know, he was probably the best player in the comp before he got injured, so there's nothing stopping him. 
Um, is there anyone else that I'm uh, missing for the future? I'm just going to quickly start with the, the age bracket because I think that's an interesting thing. Um, you say it's an old man's game. I think it's interesting. I think the old men tend to be the competitive ones. But I think the winners, for the most part, for the midfielders tend to be the players when they're bursting onto the scene. So if I have a look at it, I've got um, oh, yeah, Lockie Neal last year who was 27, I think. So yeah. not, not, not young, but like not... 28, 29, the year they hit top level. It's a, it's an age bracket. Like there is like 26 to, to 28, that type of that type of thing. And then there's like the, you know, the freaks, like five, I think five won it under, under like well under that. If Bunt win, I think if Bunt and Oliver are both under 20, under 26, um, well yeah. under 26. And so- they're the clear favourites. Absolutely. So, I mean, if we're having a look at Dangerfield and Martin, who both won it in their mid-20s, Fife who won it at 22 and 26, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell won it in his mid-20s. Um, so I, I would actually be leaning more, like I think I would think that um, from a statistical perspective, looking at retrospective winners, I would think that Dunkley would be, that would be the top end age bracket. Um, yeah, a lot of the senior players tend to do quite well, but not the winners, not the one that are really eye catching. So, um, I'm gonna throw out a couple more names. The ones that I think, I, I don't get me wrong, I agree a lot of, especially with Walsh. Um, but there are a couple others that I thought you didn't mention that I would, in terms of game style, and you know, if Fremantle were to be successful in future, I think Andrew Brayshaw's got mm, everything, everything yep. needed to become uh, the kind of player 100%. that's that um, could potentially win one in the future, especially if Fremantle do become a better team. Um, don't underestimate the half forwards in this. Now, we always think of uh, midfielders as being midfielders, but a lot of midfielders are mid forwards that go into the midfield, right? So if we look at, again, previous winners, Dangerfield, Martin, um, Fife, even at times, Petrarca this year, Bontempelli, a lot of them have spent large portions of their career as either a mid-forward or as a forward. So a couple of names from the 22 under 22 this year to keep an eye on. If Richmond, by some miracle, were to continue being a great side, Shy Bolton. Um, yeah, potentially. But I don't think they'll see enough success for that to happen. Zach Bailey, watch out <laughs> for that one. He's, he's yeah. a name that I really think he could he end needs, up being... He needs a, a bit of more of a tank, player. but... Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. Could actually be an absolutely late midfielder. Yes, him and his teammate Hugh McCluggage, if they spend more time as inside midfielders. And whilst we have seen this Brisbane side play in um, three times in the top four in the last three years, they're still a very young team. They're one of the youngest lists in the competition, and their mm. good players are young as well. So there's no reason they shouldn't be a, at least a pretty good team for a long while yet to come. Um, if we were to see something unusual, like one of the mid, uh, one of the forwards or defenders to win. You've got the likes of the King brothers, Norton, and then the defenders. I mean, Guidering, hard to go past him. He's an absolute superstar. However, the one I want to mention is I can't believe this this has gone over and all this. Clayton Oliver is twenty four. <laughs> Clayton Oliver is twenty four. He'll be twenty eight. He'd be top end. But, It'd be top end, but still in that bracket. And and as we've already talked about, this Melbourne team is is young. You know, Very a lot young. of their good yeah. players are, are 25 to 26-ish. There's no reason, like, it's incredibly difficult to build a dynasty. But if they are one of those dynasty-level teams that not necessarily winning premierships every year, but is in the top four for another four more years, look out for Clayton Oliver in four years' time. 100%. He's <laughs> so young. What the hell? Yeah. It's, it's, I think what has all stunned us about Clayton Oliver is he's been a really good player for two or three years now. I remember in his first season, just from a super coach perspective, he, he was he was averaging twenty four disposals, and he wasn't having a lot of impact with them at that point. But he was averaging twenty four disposals in his first season. And I remember thinking, Jesus Christ, this kid knows how to get the ball. Yeah, yeah, he he never had a problem finding it, but he he changed his approach to disposing of the ball, um, and. And then on top of trying to find it, he has become way more explosive off the, off the step as well, which is the double combination, which is why he's the likely candidate to win it. Absolutely. All right, Tom, speaking of the Brownlow, 
Well, there isn't a game this weekend, but we do have something to block out the helplessness of this Sunday. The Brownlow is coming upon us. With a storied history, it's the night of nights for the football calendar. And with it being virtual, it's now almost as exciting as a Gold Coast versus North Melbourne match. However, we have found over the years that playing a game of bingo while the 13th ad for a refreshing dose of gambling and the 10th ad for a cheeky chunk of alcoholism plays is a perfect way to spend your Sunday night. So grab your walking frame, head down to your local retirement village and pull out your bingo card because it's time to play bingo. First up, we've got Jeffrey Edelson rocking up to the Brownlow and he looks less ghostly than he did in 2017. The Swans would love to have more content on the bingo card, but it's been squeezed out by salary cap issues. Then you can tick off Bruce McAvaney gets too close to the players, so in order to protect the Brownlow medal favourites Oliver and Bontempelli, the AFL have to put them in hotel quarantine, chuck a TV on a Roomba and start calling the segment Roaming Macca. Now, Alex, let's have a little wager while bingo's going on. Over under on how many times they cut to Ben Cousins throughout the night. I'm thinking over five, and I think the sports bet odds are about $1.90 each way. I'll have double or nothing on you, Tom, with Brennan Favola. That's, that's where my go-to is. <laughs> and Eddie Betts' past goal of the year is shown at least three times. I believe that's when the contract with Channel 7 is. So the question isn't how many times, but when in the broadcast. Yeah. Or is it an Ivan et Nioj situation? And it'll be in the middle of the NAB Mini Legends ad. And while the night builds towards the climax, you can tick off Gil's masterful edging technique. He titillates the audience with his little pauses between C Oliver, keeping us all from spilling our drinks in excitement. As we shout at the screen, come on, Gil. However, the most controversial moment might come from Mark of the Year. Shy Bolton, who's now coaching at Collingwood, is one of the final three. No, that's not right either. But it seems like it will be between Jack's ultimate family rivalry moment and Tim O'Brien's attempt to convince a club to sign him. Ultimately, I think Victoria 70% with two doses should win Mark of the Year, even if Dan Andrews didn't control it the whole way. Oh, it's going to be an epic game of bingo and an epic Brownlow medal night. Tom, I think we'll save our Brownlow medal tips for the end of the episode yeah. um, and maybe a few more tips here and there. But... Let's focus on our second battle round. Ding, ding, ding. All right. Now, I was like, Tom, start speaking. And I was like, no, it's my turn. Oops. All right. Now, Tom, I've written for you the most simplified form of my analysis on our run sheet. And that is how to win. I know. It's, it's, I've, <laughs> I've, got, I've got the gimmick of the whole competition for you written on my notes section. This is why they pay me the big bucks as a coach. I'll tell you that. All right. Are you ready? What yeah, I'm going to right. provide for you this week is the dominant stats in which teams won in finals performances. Okay? Okay. So I've had a look at all eight finals that we've had this season to see which stats were won by teams over the course of the eight games. Right? Therefore, if therefore if the winning team won the disposals in all of the games in which they won, right, the disposals are a pretty important stat to win to give you a chance of winning. Yeah. So, let's have your predictions first. From this final s- series, I'll give you the list of stats that I have measured, and I had to hand count all of these. Disposals, inside 50s, okay. disposal efficiency, yeah. efficiency yeah. of inside 50s converted into scores, Score. clearances, contested yeah. possessions, uncontested possessions, opposition turnovers, marks, marks inside 50, contested marks, intercept possessions, Tackles and one percenters. Did you take notes? Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so let's 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 knock out a few things. All right. I know the inside fifty count in the Swans GWS game was completely lopsided, and Sydney had more inside fifties and lost um, because they kicked seven behind. So inside fifties gone. Can I stop you for a second? So, for example, um, only one of these stats was one in eight of eight of the yeah. matches. But yeah. if, if it was one in seven of eight matches, that would still be very good. Okay. Right? The bottom end um, is um, at 50% of the winners, if, if not less. 
All right, I'm trying to do it, you know, the nine-letter word challenge in the paper, yeah. going straight to the nine letters okay. before I try anything else. Um, I'm trying to think. So then there was that. The tougher one is like the, you know, the one-pointer Brisbane Bulldogs. I, I, Bulldog, Brisbane had a lot more of the ball, and I just can't, I just can't remember which of the stats would it have been I have an inkling that high up there would be contested would be clearances that would be my first thought um but I would love to know whether that then whether then in the Brisbane Bulldogs game Brisbane might have had more clearances but the conversion rate from the, the conversion rate or something um made Bulldogs win do you have any stats that you think will be unimportant. So maybe they were either split 50-50 over the four games or potentially even lost more often by the team that won. Uh, inside 50s, probably in those two games, um, uh, uh, would be up there, would would probably be irrelevant. Um, and potentially conversion like inac other than the first game inaccuracy and ability then defensively there hasn't been really anything other than the Melbourne game other than the games that Melbourne play for obvious reasons but so the ability to convert would be pretty e would be pretty um even um once it went down there maybe um I think that would be probably... That would be it? Okay, so I'm taking that as the the inside 50 conversion percentage, right? That's what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's start with the statistics that were not won. So of the eight games, the team that won the game won the tackles in only two out of those eight games. Yeah. Right? Because they had more of the ball, yeah. One of those was Melbourne... um, just to give you an idea. I think if Melbourne had played more games, that stat might be a bit higher with their game style. The yeah. one percenters was won by the team that won the game of those eight times, three out of eight. Okay. And the clearances was won by the teams that won the game only four out of eight times. So a 50-50 in those games, including by the Giants, I believe, in their loss to Geelong. Um, really? Wow. So the dominant stats, and I'm going to give you a heads up, you've not done well at, at all here. No, I have not done well in the slightest. <laughs> um, the dominant stats, um, I've got five of them for you. So in equal third spot, um, I've got all the ones on six, which are marks inside 50. So six out of eight times, the winners won marks oh, inside 50. Of course, of Disposal course, yeah. efficiency was six out of eight times. Really? And total okay. disposals, six out of eight times as well. Okay. Okay. So the two most one. the two most dominant stats um, in second place for this one contested marks seven out of eight times. <laughs> what is this? Stunning. Stunned me. Wow, Absolutely I would never me. have picked that. Yeah. yeah. No, not have picked that in the slightest. Absolutely floored me that stat. I did particularly not think it you know finals all. is you know all about the small forward like big mm-hmm. men fail. You know, other than you know, other than if they've got a US passport, they don't seem to work in in the fi- in the finals. Wow, yeah. that is a huge stat. I, do you know what I think it is? I think it's more the around the ground. I think it's the ability to, to yeah get to out, be clutch get, under pressure, get out and, kit. Yeah, but yeah, yeah or in ones. defense, like you know, kick it down the line. And take a mark. Yeah, when you've got a three on two and you've got you can use yeah, your bodies yeah. to that's what I think it is. But it's it's a very interesting one. And then the number one dominant stat, and this was my prediction, this is what I went hunting mm. for for this reason. Not that I could prove it to you, but contested possessions. Contested yes, possessions yes. wins in matches. So in all eight of the finals. So Bulldogs did win contested possessions. So that's Bulldogs that was the only game. Yeah. That was the only game that I was uh concerned about because Brisbane pretty had dominant more a more dominant overall. Yeah. But I guess Bulldogs must have won the contested possession count. Um because but every other game, yeah, would have been that. Yeah, but I can I can already hear you and the potential listeners out there saying, yes, but Alex, those are just normal finals. You know, you've got games like fifth V eighth in there. What what about the actual clutch games? Well, Tom, 
I've gone back to the last eight grand finals and I've had a look at who won the stats in each of those as well. Okay. So I'll give you your opportunity to do your predictions again, because maybe grand finals are a bit different. Three of those have been won by Richmond and their game style. Three of them have been won by Hawthorne and their game style. So you can make your decisions yeah. based on that. Or you can think about what holds up under pressure in a grand final. But yeah. eight grand finals, what were the most dominant stats again? Do you want them all? Quick rundown. I reckon yeah, I'll give just, you a quick rundown. Do it again, yeah. Do it again. Okay. Disposals, inside 50s. Disposal efficiency, inside 50 conversions. So inside 50 efficiency. Clearances, contested possessions, uncontested possessions, opposition turnovers, marks, marks inside 50, contested marks, intercept possessions, tackles, and one percenters. So my first thought is Hawthorne's game was all about possession and and kicking efficiency um, in that dominant term. And then Richmond's was pressure and then beat you on the turnover. Beach on the turnover. So I'm thinking either total disposals would be high um, and disposal efficiency would be high um, and and then obviously contested possessions within that. So to be able to win win the, the, the ball when it's in close and that would check out with this final series, um, I would love to see where con- un- uncontested possessions is because that was all Hawthorne's game dominating in the last in their three peat. So I wonder if it sh- if it's if it balances mm. out a bit more in that history, um, and uncontested. But for some reason, I don't really care about inside fifties <laughs> at all anymore. Um, and and turnover that hasn't turnover hasn't been it, it's no no one's played like Melbourne uh, in the grand fi- like in in a fi- grand final so I wouldn't have thought that it would be turnover yet. All right, so we're taking all of that in, Tom. I'm just going to tell you now, you're really bad at this game. It's just not. Wow, what the hell is going on? It's just not on? going for you. Okay, but surely the logic is sound. The logic uh, is sound. There are elements of the logic that is sound, but there's also just massive parts of it that you're forgetting. And I will explain uh-huh. to you as we're going. Okay, so uh-huh. the four stats. There were four stats that all broke even. Right, were won by the teams that won 50, four 50. out of eight. Right. Yeah. Uh, so these were the four lower stats. No team won with um, none of the stats were less than four. So the four stats are disposal efficiency. Um, so I think you were, I think you're right. Probably I think Hawthorne's two out of their three were they won with disposal efficiency. But I think Richmond only won the disposal efficiency on one of theirs. Would have been um, against the Giants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think they really needed it on the others. Um, uncontested possessions. Um, and I, I think that was a similar situation where, again, Richmond don't overpossess the ball that much. Don't, don't possess. Neither did the and Western Hawk. Bulldogs. Um, so yeah. I think that's probably where most of those came from. But I, I'm, I, don't, I don't have the exact cases for you. I did write all of that down because it would have taken forever. Uh, interestingly, the marks inside 50 was one that I didn't expect to see. And then I realized that Richmond have won three premierships in a row, uh, three of the last four premierships. And they actually went out of their way to kick the ball onto the ground. So that made a bit yeah. more sense. And then finally, the tackles again. Um, despite course, Richmond yeah. being a pressure-based side, still, if you have more of the ball, then as a result of which you have to yeah. do less tackling. Um, but there were three stats that were all more than six out of eight. So these three stats were seven or above. In fact, all of them were seven. None of them were eight. Um, there were a fair few that were on six, a couple of the ones you mentioned. Contested possessions was one, for instance, and total disposals. But the three stats that were dominant were contested marks. Tom, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you choose to ignore contested marks. Because that. nobody cares about a contested mark. Um, oh my god, I'm losing the plot here. Do you want to? I'll, I'll give you a quick, quick guess. Do you know which game was the one uh, where the team lost the contested marks and still won? Probably 2016. No, it wasn't. It, it, it was the Sydney, it was a losing Sydney side that won it though. It was 2013 Swans with the likes of um, 
Tippett and Buddy and but really, yeah, we, we got destroyed and we still won the contested mark count. Like. And not only did you win it, you won it comfortably. And I think it was because Hawthorne weren't playing that game at all that season. No, not at all. Um, they were playing uncontested marks. That was that was very much their game. Um, contested marks. And then, then very interestingly, you talked about how you didn't think the turnovers were apart. I was like, Tom, Tom, did you did you watch either of these two teams? Firstly, Clarko's cluster, right? The whole point yeah. of it was zoning off uncontested marks. What, what do you think that turns into? Opposition turnovers. So it's it's all three Hawthorns, all three Bridgeman. Well, it's the two defensive stats, opposition turnovers and intercept possessions from a side that was famed for their defensive zone-off structure and a side who was famous for putting so much pressure on the opposition that they kicked it to the opposition. I I have forgotten Hawthorns, how Hawthorne won three in a row. That is just (laughs) clearly what has happened here. I just assumed that they got the ball first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did have an elite midfield, but their defense was probably what got them there. Um, yeah, yeah, 100%. So overall, I've got three stats for you. The the mega loser stat. So the mega loser is the stat that doesn't matter in finals, doesn't matter in grand finals. You can win whether or not you win this stat. That's the tackles. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't really matter in either. You get the job done. My mega weird stat is the one that makes a big difference in the other in one, but doesn't make a big difference in the other. So disposal efficiency. That's that's a really interesting one for me because in normal finals, that was an important stat. That won you six out of eight games. In grand finals, four out of eight games. So there's a bit of a drop off there. And I'm, I'm a bit mm. curious about that. It goes from being one of the best stats to one of the worst stats. And then finally, your most important stat, say it with me, Tom, contested marks. <laughs> uh, that put, that, you know, that actually, well, that changes their outlook of, that, of what I have thought about next week. Wow. Interesting. Like, mm. I just can't. I, I, yeah, I actually think it's not inside 50 specifically. I think it is around the ground, as you said. Yeah. So I, I'm just I'm I'm now completely fascinated with contested marks as a statistic. Uh, it's mm. not something that I, I've thought about over the course of the season, but I'm now going to be keeping a really close look <laughs> on it during Grand Final Day. Hundred um, percent. It's just for just for everyone keeping an eye out there. I reckon that's just one to keep an eye on. Um, what what my takeaway from this is as a whole is that. Um, if there's one team that I believe is, I genuinely believe is the best contested mark side in the league with their fit players, it's St Kilda. So my conclusion is we're going to win the grand final next season. <laughs> you, if you get fully fit Marshall, Ryder and King, yeah, like, that's that's you're winning every single contested mark. Dougal Howard does the job with the defensive ones, and you, you sort it. <laughs> what a stat! You don't you don't need midfielders, Tom. Contested marks will get you there. Contested marks, twenty twenty two. Let's go. All right, Tom. What have you got? All right. So, Alex, it wasn't. Uh, now, it wasn't such a great game on the weekend between the Demons and the Cats. And you know, while the performance in of itself was you know out of character for a prelim. Um, there was one, Gary Rowan, that was extremely dependable. <laughs> Absolutely. So because Gary Rowan is so dependable, I've tried to see if I could find a few things that are, you know, more dependable than him. So Beautiful. the first thing would be white people getting burnt on an Australian beach. <laughs> more dependable. Count myself in. Count myself in. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm hoping, I'm actually hoping that's my summer this year. <laughs> yes, we all are. Um, Essendon ruining an ex- expectation by a less than mediocre performance in a game during the month of September. <laughs> Extremely dependable. Yeah, take that one to the bank. Put that in your yeah. Brownlow multi. Hundred <laughs> percent. All right. The Australian government spending money on some sort of atomic half metal half fish. Yeah. Rather than paying its people after a global pandemic shuts down the economy twice. No, I, I'm 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 totally on board with this because the um, I don't want to go too political here, but the um, anybody that's on the economic right will tell you that oh we need to be prioritizing the economy right now. 
And I'm like, yeah, I, I understand that as a value. Do you know what we should do to prioritize the economy? Go out and buy some fucking submarines. <laughs> no, no, no. Atomic half metal half fish. <laughs> if they pivot to atomic half metal half fish, yeah. I'm on board. I'm 100% on board. Nuclear piranhas, come on. <laughs> Easy sell in my life. Yeah, no, I think the rebranding is key because if there's one thing we've learned the last time we bought submarines, it didn't go so well. <laughs> oh, what a <laughs> This podcast turned very quickly. <laughs> All right. Um, so more dependable than Gary Rowan, the AFL MAF, I mean, MAF, I mean, Media making sure it's one person's fault that there is a lack of integrity in the competition. <laughs> I was I was about to say for a second there, like, oh Tom, do you just do you just want another crack at it? <laughs> but I was like, oh no no no, oh yeah, I'm I'm with you. We can't say that word. There's a word we cannot say. Um, and then more dependable, uh, Christian Porter not thinking about the consequences of his own actions, oh, and no. then white men rewarding him for it. No, no. <laughs> I give up on this podcast. This is just a political podcast now. <laughs> um, all right, all right. We'll move away from that. We'll move away from the politics. All right. More dependable than Gary Rowan, Kim Kardashian making herself darker but actually stealing all of the spotlight. Shout out to all my Met Gala babies there. That one's for you. Not only do I love that, is that's that's a metaphysics joke about how um, black, black the double. Lives. It was a double. It was did you, a double. Did you mean that? Yeah, hundred percent. Oh, okay. That. Thank you. That's that's an excellent joke. Then that's a truly excellent. Joke. I was that one. That one I'm definitely the most proud of. Yeah. All right. Um, and then the next one. Tony Armstrong bringing the life essence we all need until this corona thing leaves our shores. <laughs> I don't know if anyone saw this. Just type Tony Armstrong into Google and click videos. It's great. It's, it's brilliant. a good time. It, it, first thing that made me properly laugh in a while. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and the follow-up to, to that story is even better. <laughs> um, and the last thing, more dependable than Gary Rowan, duct tape. It's not, not just duct tape, Tom. Flex tape. <laughs> Flex tape. Oh, that's a deep cut. Deep cut. That's deep. It goes on anything. <laughs> Is your sieve leaking water? Add flex tape. Incredible. Oh, right. There that you was, go. What that a was list. very what good from you, Tom. That was very, very good. I, I don't have any I don't have any hesitation in awarding you the point this way. I mean I oh, thought my stat was good, good, but some of the jokes there, in particular. Throwing in, not on top of a Met Gala joke, a bit of metaphysics. That's, oh, what a combination. What a combination. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm one behind now with two to play. Oh. So that's how it stands. Jesus. So I think we, we just call it now. No draws over the next two weeks and either way we have a winner. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's very exciting. Okay, Tom, there were two games on the weekend. So we'll re- quickly recap our tips, which was we both tipped Melbourne and Port and we both got one. Yes. I, did I, didn't I tip Bulldogs? Oh, no, you did. Or I'm did sorry. I, no, I think I'm pretty did. sure I tipped Bulldogs. Yeah, no, I think you did. So, congratulations. I think you're now two tips ahead of me just in the final I series. D- I, I think I did what you did with Melbourne. I was like, Bulldogs in a really close one, and yeah. it wasn't close. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that that secures you the, the tipping for the finals, at least. You won one tipping comp, Tom. Whoa. The short form. I'm the sprinter. <laughs> the the short, absolute the sprinter. Because I got out to a lead early in the season as well and yeah. then fell away very late. Um, so clearly a sprinter, no long distance running for me. Call him call him Sean Takes. He's an IPL specialist. Um, <laughs> all right, but let's 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 do our tips for the Brownlow medal. I'm very excited about this time. I think this will be, you know, it'll be terrible because it'll be Zoom, but I think this will be one of the better Brownlow counts in terms of how close it is yeah. and how majors. Um, yes, yes, I think that will definitely make it bearable i think if it was a clear favorite there'd be no point yeah let's talk about the contenders before we get into our individual tips the man who's currently the bookies favorite is ollie wines um interesting how how are you feeling about his chances the only thing i'd say on him compared to the other favorites in my head would be that he's not really competing with anyone other than maybe travis boke and Boak didn't have the season that he had last year. 
So he's clearly in their better game, in their wins, will most likely be the ones that poll. And they did finish in the top four. So I understand why he is the favourite. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you make a good case for him. I'm going to have to think about who I'm going to tip. Um, the next the next man, according to the bookies, is Clayton Oliver, um, the contested ball magnet out of Melbourne. His red hair is very attractive, so he, could, he pulls votes in that regard. Do you think he's got a real crack against Ollie Lyons, Tom? I don't know. I can't. I can't tell whether this is you know subjective or not. I think he is. I think he is my Brownlow Medal winner. Like he is my MVP. But I just, for some reason, I feel like that the there's just too many votes he's losing to Gorn and Petrarca. Um, and you know, even in some cases, you know, May and Lever um, might stop him from getting a two and a one that would push him over the edge. Um, and they're just too many good players in that in that team. Um, that's that's sort of where my thinking's at. But I still think that his best games are better than Ali's. Yeah. So I think I think while we're on him, we've got to talk about the other two Melbourne boys and where they're going to feature in this. I think that's the big problem with all of them is that they just. They're just taking too many votes away from each other. But do you feel like Petrarca is a genuine chance? No, no, I don't think I don't think Petrarca is because because he's not as good. He wasn't as good as Oliver this season. Oh, he didn't he didn't have enough best on grounds versus Oliver. Um, so I think that if if it's anyone's, it is it is Clayton's. Um, but. Whether where the issue would be whether he steals and steals votes off, off Oliver, but I don't think same as Gorn, like, but Gorn Gorn's is a different case because it's a ruckman, so we know hundred percent he's not going to win. So the question will be how many times does he steal it off, uh, off the uh, off uh, Oliver. Yeah, I think Gorn's come back into the conversation the last few weeks for about how many votes he's going to steal off Oliver and Petrarca when. I don't think really he will. He hasn't polled particularly well in years gone by and he's not had as good of no. a year during the regular season as he had in other years. So I wouldn't expect him to poll many votes. Um, the other one in, in the triumvirate of the contenders is the Western Bulldogs captain, Marcus Montempelli. Um, he's in a very interesting situation, I think. He's the one that I potentially think has the most potential to swing up and down because he's yeah. got really good players that have really good games around him, but aren't as eye-catching as him. So the likes yeah, of... Nobody ex- as explosive. Yeah, so the likes of Libba and McRae, who I would look at in individual games and actually say, well, I think he was not as good as those two there. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you're in the middle of your umpiring match and you've got a hell of a lot else to do. You're not thinking about, gee, Libba's had 14 contested possessions in this half. Meanwhile, you are thinking about Marcus Bontempelli, I watched him run out of a pack four times. He's kicked two goals. Mm. Oh, it's, yeah. it is, it's, um, umpiring is a difficult job as it is. Imagine trying to pick votes at the same time. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe McRae will take a lot of votes off him. I think Norton might take a few as well. I think that's one that people aren't thinking about. Just on raw impact, um, Caleb Daniel will over the course of the season. I'm sure Trelaw will here and there. Josh Dunkley at the start and Bailey Smith at various points. There's a lot of good players in there, each that had great games, but how many times will the umpires look at them and say, yeah, but was he better than Bontempelli? Yeah, that's a similar situation to Oliver as well. Um, in that regard, yeah, there. It, and it's interesting, it's, it's, it's Bontempelli versus the rest of the team and at different points. It's not like, you know, it's not like, ah. Uh, Libba and Dunkley played, you know, an incredible game at the in the same at the same same time. It's like okay, Dunk. We know Dunkley is versing, you know, potentially versing votes against Dunkley, and then it sort of goes to Libba in the middle part of the season, and then in that middle in that end bit before they lose three in a row, McRae is is clearly the best player in the dog side. 
So at each point, yeah. it'll be a different Bulldogs player that he has to um, get the votes from. The other question will be his second half of the year, he was an average footballer. Now, but, but I think that a... alone, I think that alone should make him, should make him the least of the three. Now, I, I understand that he might be more eye catching, and therefore mm. that will negate his his you know him being average, um, statistically. Uh, but I wonder if it'll be on the night he gets out to a lead that is you know looks huge but catchable, and then it'll be a race to see whether someone, whether that's an Oliver or a Wines, will catch him before the final game. Um, and it might actually even come down to that two-point two point game, two-point uh, win uh, that Adel- Port had in the last game of the season against the Bulldogs. Where Wines was huge, by the way. Um, I, I think you're yeah, absolutely Wines, right. Wines will be three votes. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about how the game's going to go. Um, sorry, I think you're absolutely right about how the count's going to go. Um, Bontepelli will take a big lead towards the two-thirds mark and then the others will catch him. I, I Scarily, I think he's going to keep pulling votes in that last third of the season despite not playing very well because he is Marcus Bontepelli. But maybe maybe not. Let's, let's run through some of the other contenders who have been talked about um, and see if you're going to consider any of them. But before we do that quickly... Jack Steele, many people are talking about him because mm. pretty much any game that the Saints won this season, you'd think he'll yeah, get three he'll votes. Um, Max King had one amazing game, but apart from that, Jack Steele's Jack Steele. Um, do you think he's a realistic shout or is he just going to be the, the placer in the top five? Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if Saints won enough games and particularly in the losses can I understand he probably do probably deserves a one voter in those early losses where you got absolutely destroyed by like 80, 80 70 80 90 points um whether you can you know if you're an umpire you can justify giving Jack Steele a one vote in a in a you know a 80 point loss um that seems pretty pretty out there um but it and other stranger things have happened. I feel I feel like was Carlton any good when Judd won the second time? Just um, outside the eight, I think. Yeah, in a similar spot, and 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 Fife won it has won it from one of the times the from yeah. outside the eight. But you uh, but you have to be on that like Judd Fife Gary Ablett type level, and I mm. don't just don't think Steele is at that point yet. I also don't think he's quite as attractive as a player as some of the other ones are. So I, I don't think he's really in contention. Um, a couple of the other names you already talked about, Petrarca and McRae, but uh, Walsh, Parrish, Mitchell, Merritt, Lyons, any of them really a hope for you or is it just fanciful? Well, Parrish's drop-off in the second half of the season is pretty, is again, similar to Bontempelli, but no no star power. So I just don't think he'll get any votes in the second half of the year. Um and then um, Walsh, I don't know Carlton. Carlton's games in which they lose, I understand. Like, uh, I understand he might he might get in enough twos and twos and ones, but I don't know. Harry Mackay will steal a few votes off him because usually when they win, Harry would be kicking goals. Um, but if you, he's definitely a smoky. Um, and then the other one I would say that we haven't mentioned is, um, took Miller. Now he got suspended really early in the piece, but I would, I just want to see this as a case study because I still have some weird conspiracy theory that they like try to avoid giving votes to suspended players. And I do want to see what his count is at the end. He'll have a patch after, I think it's a couple of games, maybe that Richmond game. Um, at about round yeah. 18 or 19 or something where he'll, he'll look pretty hot um, and it'll yeah. be interesting. But I don't I don't think he'll get there. He might be in the top three to five, but yeah. he, I don't think he'll get there. I don't think he won enough games. For me, of those, Parrish is the best bet. Um, I just think there's a whole bunch of games where he, he undeniably pulls through. Um, yeah. then, then there's early, a few... Particularly early in the season, yeah. Well, it wasn't quite early. It was more like the, that mid-section where he really started to find form, you know, Anzac mm. Day, kind of that period. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
All right, so we've had all our talk, Tom. It's time to make some decisions. Firstly, before we do, I want, to t- I want you to tell me, who's your MVP? Who's the best player in the competition this season? So Just I'm, this season. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying Clayton Oliver is my MVP. Now, that's I think that's different to, to Brownlow, but I'm saying yes. he's my MVP, most valuable player. I'm, I'm in agreement with you, actually. I believe that Clayton Oliver was the most valuable player to any team this season. Um, just his work at stoppages was just undeniable. And he, he transitioned from a player in years gone by that would win the ball and handball to a player that takes five yards and then kicks with penetration. And that's mm. such a difference for a midfielder. Um, yeah. All right, we're, we're in agreement on that. Let's see if we're in agreement with our Brownlow prediction. Tom, who do you think will win? I think based off this conversation, I think I've changed. I, I was going to say Bont. But for some reason now, I think I'm switching to Ollie Wines. I think that there's just no one in that team. And they win do win a lot of games. Um, and the ones they don't win are pretty close. Um, uh, there's just no one that takes votes away from him at all, like other than maybe Boke uh, early. So I'm saying Ollie. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit stunned that like it's not more of an outlier than um it currently is. It's quite close in the betting. And don't get me wrong, I think Clayton Oliver's been the best player this year, and I think Marcus Montepelli yeah. is ridiculously eye catching and will probably go really close. But like genuinely, Port Adelaide, how many games did they win this season? Um For, was, I don't know what the sixteen, I wanna say. Yeah, I think something sixteen like that. was the number. It genuinely, in how many of those games did somebody play better than Ollie Wines? Yeah. Not many. Oh, like th- not that's, many. that stat as itself should should give you an indicator of how many should. votes Ollie Wines is gonna poll this year. Um yeah. earlier in the I think we are a little caught up in his hot streak in the second half of the year. He did have a much better second half of the year than he did yeah. in the first. Um but they were a bit of a medium side through the first half of the year and they came home strong. So that's where they won their games. I, I think it'll be a case where, you know, maybe in the Melbourne Western Bulldogs game, Clayton Oliver and Bontempelli get the three votes in each of those games. But if Ollie Wines gets three votes after three votes in the North Melbourne game and in the Gold Coast game and in the St Kilda game, like I expect mm. he will, yeah. in 100%. the end, he's the one at the top. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be uh, interesting because Bunt will get a really, really big lead to on Ali, and Ali will come home. Straight. So, what's um, what's your pick on how big the lead gets? Ooh, I don't know the lead. I, I I still think I think it'll be really close, um, but probably close. Surely, at least, surely at least it gets as big as nine, nine, ten votes. Surely. Three best on grounds at some point throughout the season. A gap of three best on grounds to be made up in those, at you know, those last three weeks where where Port win and Bulldogs don't. Surely, so nine ten votes, and if it's beyond nine ten, it'll be it'll be Bonds to Bonds to lose then. Yeah, I, I think he will be um, quite far back to be honest. So I think Bonds will be maybe at round nineteen. He, he might still have quite a long way to go. I don't know. It, it's. I, th- I think there's a lot of games where I'm just, for instance, I'm looking at the Brownlow predictor, right? And early in the season, there's seven games where he polls. Uh, sorry, six games where he polls. He's expected to poll. And they only have him polling one or two. Yeah. Now, I think maybe, yeah. you know, there. I remember Motlop having a few good games. Um, Boke will have take some votes, Rosie will take some votes, Butters will take some votes and everything. But geez, I, just, I don't think out of those six games, he's going to poll um, seven votes. I just, I think it'll be more than that. And then if he starts that well, he's, I think he will not have that many to chase down. Mm, yeah. But so you're also tipping, you're also saying Ollie? Yeah, I think, I think Ollie as well. But it'll be really interesting to see how eye-catching Oliver and... Bontempelli end up being, um, yeah. In comparison to their teammates, like maybe we've got it wrong, and that um, despite the fact that Oliver in particular, 
I think in Oliver's games, he was the better player than Petrarca or some of the others, but Petrarca on flair and other aspects, they might draw votes. And I think he might get more ones and twos. Whereas I think Bontempelli is actually more likely to get the votes, even though he wasn't necessarily the best player in the field. better player. Um, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. Anyway, I'm looking forward to it. Um, you've heard our predictions. L- please let us know yours. I'll be excited to hear them um, because it's going to be a hectic night, I'm sure. Do, which which round? Do you reckon it comes down to round 23? That's the final thing. No, I, I honestly think it'll come down to the Bulldogs port game. Hunter. Yeah, round 23. Honestly think it'll be that close. Well, I, I think it will as well. I'm not necessarily that game because that was a Friday night. It might come down to the Saturday which is Melbourne Geelong. Mm, Melbourne Geelong. Um, yeah. And Oliver was huge. Huge. Oliver, Oliver, Oliver's getting the three there. So Oliver's probably getting the, the three and uh, Gorn might take a few off him and as might Petrarca, but I think Oliver is Oliver is getting the three. So um, it, it's it's going to be interesting. It's <laughs> I can't wait. Um, also, if Tuke Miller wins, this is going to be the biggest <laughs> lull in history. I just, I, I yeah. love it. It's They'll so change fun. the rule. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Tom, that wraps up our show for this week. Hope you had a really good time. I had a good time. You're going to see us in not too long. We'll be back next week for our pre-grand final special. All of our analysis and predictions of what's going to happen for grand final day. Maybe a little bit of a recap on the brown line and how wrong we got it all. Because let's face it, <laughs> it's not going to go well. We, we've committed to Ollie Mines, <laughs> therefore he comes sixth, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, 100%. He's going to get halfway through the season, he'll be on seven votes, and we'll be like, God damn it. What? God damn it. What? <laughs> Chris Judd's winning? I didn't know he was playing. See, Judd? Wait, what? <laughs> Judd? I didn't, I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our show this week. Um, please join us next week. My name is Alex Henry. I'm Tom Creaser. Thanks for joining us.